Welcome to this week's serving of Oyster Stew, a mix of financial services commentary and insight. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in the industry based on what we see as we work with regulators and clients. We hope you come away with the knowledge and tools to help you make the best decisions for your firm's future. You can learn more about Oyster Consulting and the value we can add to your firm by going to our website, www.oysterllc.com. Hi, everybody. This is Buddy Doyle of Oyster Consulting. Welcome to our Reg BI podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about conflicts of interest and the obligation under the new Reg BI rule as it relates to conflicts of interest. Join me today are Bob Tuck and Bill Riley. Bob Tuck is a former general counsel for a broker-dealer. He's also got experience with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And Bill Riley is a former regulator from the state of Florida. Both have been consultants at Oyster Consulting for a while, and we're really excited to have you guys on to help our listeners understand the obligations that are required under Reg BI. So with that, uh, Bob, maybe you could give us a little bit of a summary of the rule requirements as it relates to conflicts of interest. Sure, I'd be happy to. Reg BI contains a general requirement that applies to broker-dealer personnel when they make recommendations to retail customers. This general requirement imposes a standard of care when there is a recommendation of any securities transaction or investment strategy involving securities. When broker-dealer personnel make these recommendations, they must act in the best interest of the retail customer at the time of the recommendation without placing the financial or other interests of the firm or the firm's representatives ahead of the interests of the customer. This standard of care must also be met when broker-dealer personnel make account recommendations, including recommendations to roll over or transfer assets in a workplace retirement plan to an IRA and recommendations to take a plan distribution. And finally, the standard of care must also be adhered to in connection with implicit hold recommendations that result from agreed-upon account monitoring. To supplement this general standard of care requirement, Reg BI imposes additional obligations in the form of a disclosure obligation, a care obligation that provides details regarding how the standard of care must be met, the conflict of interest obligation that we will be addressing in some detail today, and a compliance obligation that requires written policies and procedures designed to achieve compliance with Reg BI. With that general overview in mind, let's focus on the conflict of interest obligation. The conflict of interest obligation requires that reasonably designed written policies and procedures be established, maintained, and enforced, and that, the, that they address these four things. One, identify conflicts associated with firm recommendations and, at a minimum, disclose or eliminate those conflicts. Two, identify and mitigate any conflicts associated with firm recommendations that create an incentive for firm personnel to place firm interests or firm representative interests ahead of customer interests. Three, identify and disclose material limitations placed on the transactions or strategies that may be recommend, recommended and any conflicts associated with those limitations. 
In addition, prevent those limitations and associated conflicts from causing firm personnel to make recommendations that place firm-related interests ahead of customer interests. And fourth, identify and eliminate sales contests, sales quotas, bonuses, and non-cash compensation that are based on the sales of specific securities or specific types of securities within a limited period of time. With these rule requirements in mind, I would like to touch on some important things that you should be thinking about when addressing the conflict of interest obligation. First, identify conflicts and have a process for assessing the nature and severity of the conflicts. As Bill will cover later, Oyster can help firms create a conflicts inventory by using a matrix. Next, conduct periodic re reviews of the firm's conflicts inventory. Be prepared to assess how conflicts should be disclosed, monitored, mitigated, and, where appropriate, eliminated. Review new product offerings with a view toward addressing potential conflicts. Create a process for escalating conflicts of interest. Establish an enhanced surveillance program to monitor associated persons' recommendations under specified circumstances. Conduct periodic reviews of disclosures and determine whether disclosures must be updated. And create a conflicts of interest training program for your associates. So Bill, Bob talked about outlining how firms identify conflicts and the nature and severity of those things. Can you give us a little bit of a, a hint as to how firms should go about identifying their conflicts? Yes, thank you, buddy. One of the things I'd like to do, and as Bob just discussed, you know, the firm should create a process to identify conflicts and prepare conflicts inventory. The one thing that's important to, to remember is that this inventory list is not a one-time creation, but it's what I would call a living, breathing document, which must be updated as new conflicts are identified or previously identified conflicts need to be amended. The review of conflicts should occur on an ongoing basis. The one exception to this might be of a firm that has a, that is a small firm, a small number of registered reps, and a limited number of products offered. And that review could be conducted maybe on a quarterly, semi-annual, or annual basis. But also an important note is that all reviews for conflicts should be documented in writing. Let's talk for a minute now about the firm's business practice, which could give rise to a conflict of interest. As usual, we need to remember that no two firms operate the same, and as a result of the conflicts identified, and means by which a firm addresses those conflicts may not be the same. So we thought the one thing that we would do is maybe go through a list. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a list of the more common type of conflicts that may be uh, encountered by most firms. First one we're talking about is a compensation structure. What we're talking about is compensation received by the firm and ultimately provided to the registered representatives. The next one is revenue sharing arrangements. And what we're talking about here are 12B1 fees. We're also talking about revenue sharing fees from direct participation firms uh, and product sponsors for, for the broker-dealer engaging in items such as marketing support and or due diligence. The next area that we want to talk about 
are gifts and entertainment. Gifts and entertainment, what we're talking about here, are gifts that are provided to or provided by registered representatives. And this, these gifts that are provided to, and we're also talking here about entertainment, so the gifts and entertainment that, uh, that are provided by or provided to an RR should be placed on the firm's gifts and entertainment logs. And these logs should be reviewed by an appropriate principal on an ongoing basis. Uh, one other area that is a major concern to a lot of firms is outside of business activities. An example of an outside business activity would include the sale of a product to a client, which may or may not be a security. Uh, which is not on the approved sales list uh, by the by the broker dealer. So very important to uh, to make sure that all outside business activities are disclosed and approved by the company. Another area that we're looking at uh, as far as the uh, conflict inventory is transactions involving proprietary products. Now proprietary products are those products that can only be bought and sold through that broker dealer. And one of the concerns is that you know there could be a different uh, compensation structure for payouts. And one other concern is a lack of portability of the proprietary product when the account is closed and moved to a new company. That uh, proprietary product may or may not be eligible to be transferred to the new firm when the, when the account is open there. Another area is personal trading. And the concern in this area is as to whether or not the firm is approving the opening of RR accounts that are held at other firms or financial institutions. And more importantly, are the firms reviewing the trading activity in those accounts on an ongoing basis? So very important to determine where outside accounts are and to review that activity. The next area is vendor and service provider relationships. And the concern in this area, is there undisclosed compensation or services being provided and not being disclosed? Very important to make sure that all those areas are disclosed and, and known to clients. One other area of importance is the new and existing products. And what we're talking about here, and Bob kind of touched on this in the, in the opening part of the presentation, is there a process in place? Is there a group or a committee form to review new products and services that may be offered by the firm and its registered representatives? Are those products approved in total? Are there certain restrictions and so forth? And one thing to also remember as we're going through these, these inventories is to make sure that the process under which the uh, inventory item was uh, discussed, that there are, there are written document, there's written documentation that actually describes the process, the review, and the approval process. And one of the last items, uh, second to last item we want to talk about is what is the process for obtaining the initial and or continuing approval for securities offered by the firm? Now, very similar to what we have in, on the new and existing products is that do we have a procedure? Is there a group or a committee that has been formed that can talk about these new products, these new securities or existing securities being continued to be allowed to be traded by the registered representatives. So is there a review process? Is it documented in writing? If approved, are the sales restricted to certain classes of investors with a certain level of experience, net worth, and age? One of the big areas that we're talking about here, since it's been a large focus uh, since the start of the retirement of the baby boomers, are sales of certain products with or without restrictions 
for sales to retired clients over the age of 65. One other area we want to talk about are transactions and relationships with affiliates. And one of the more common type of issues in this area uh, would include a firm sharing undisclosed fees and services with an affiliated investment advisor. So we've seen a whole lot of concerns in this, in this general area. So, Bill, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, it sounds like a, this is a really big deal when you're talking about looking at the compensation structure, you know, how you get money as a broker-dealer, uh, where that money goes, what products you're trading. Um, this is, seems to have tentacles into every section of an organization. So it seems to me like as you're, you're sitting down and you start putting together a list of conflicts, you're almost putting together a list of everything that you do and looking for conflicts, and that's a pretty big uh, review. How are firms supposed to manage through their conflicts inventory, Bill? What are some of the things that firms should be looking to do? Yeah, let me, let, thank you, buddy. Uh, let me talk a bit about that. Once the firm has identified its conflicts inventory, the firm will need to develop a plan as to whether the conflict one of the conflicts that Bob mentioned earlier were things like sales contests, which are no longer permitted by the provisions of Reg B, and to the means by which the firm can mitigate and manage the conflict. As part of the process for our clients, Oyster has developed a matrix, which among other categories include the name of the conflict, the identification as to whether the conflict is between the firm and the registered representative, the firm and the client, the registered representative and the client, or, in some instances, the firm and a vendor. Other categories we have on our matrix include how will the conflict be mitigated and the name, of the name and title of the person responsible for the management of the conflict. So we have this broad matrix that allows us to monitor activity, identify who's in charge of it, and eventually when we get to the point of testing, uh, which will come you know, after this is established and, and actually implemented, we can actually have some, some testing going on and determine what the degree of the testing was, who the testing was completed by, and what the results of the testing were. You know, Bob, as I'm listening to, to Bill talk about making the list of conflicts and thinking about the things that you've said, you know, I don't recall working with uh, registered reps, and I noticed Bill used the term registered reps uh, to describe folks that work at, at broker-dealers, but I don't recall any registered reps sort of ever saying they're trying to put their own interest ahead of their clients. It seems to me like generally in the industry people want to do right by their clients, and I know that the term financial advisor is now, you know, supposedly out of uh, out of favor with uh, if you work for a broker-dealer, you're not allowed to use the term financial advisor. And, and I think, is it, is it fair to say, though, that, that most of those folks that are out giving advice related to finances, um, are they going to see any real change in, in how they operate? Or, or do you think that we're going to see a, a major impact on how retail customers get served? I would say that many of these registered reps have been operating in a very appropriate and acceptable way. 
However, um, operating under a suitability standard of care it was something that was believed by many to be an in inadequate level of protection for investors. And one of the best examples that comes to mind would, would be variable annuity exchanges. I've, I've assisted some firms where some reps um, get the idea that uh, there's this new shiny object that should be offered to a customer and have that person do a, an exchange out of their, their current holding. And in some instances, it's really not in the best interest of the customer when you take into account all the bells and whistles of the existing product and all the bells and whistles of the proposed product. So I guess what I'm seeing here is that Reg BI is hopefully going to be a, a better safeguard in, in terms of uh, firms and their reps paying close attention to everything that needs to be looked at to really feel comfortable that they're acting in the best interest of the customer. And I guess that's the way I see it at this point. Yeah, so well, thank you for that. So it sounds to me like firms are going to have to take some extra steps and registered reps are going to have to go through maybe some additional hoops to get a more thorough analysis before recommending a, a, a client move from one product to another. Bill, maybe you could share with us some other measures that firms potentially may take to try to help identify and avoid some conflicts as they move forward. Yeah, I, I think it's important, buddy, because what we've talked about at this time is that, uh, you know, we, we've talked about conflicts inventory, documenting and process the writing to obtain the conflicts, the possible creation of a matrix for monitoring the conflict. I think it is time now to take a look at some examples of conflict mitigation measures that firms may consider. And we've actually got a couple that, uh, that are, I think, going to be pretty, uh, pretty common across the board when we're talking about most firms. We're talking about avoiding compensation thresholds that disproportionately increase compensation through incremental increases in sales. And, and to go along with that, we're talking about minimizing compensation incentives for RRs who favor one type of account over another, or those that favor one type of product over another by establishing differential compensation based on neutral factors. Eliminating compensations incentives with comparable product lines. So I think one of the things that we're that we're talking about here is looking at uh, comp compensation levels, compensation means, and also looking at activity where people may be looking at uh, moving from a threshold of a certain payout to another payout, and also favoring certain types of accounts or products over other accounts. I think that's a very vital part of this rule. Another part of the uh, uh, measures with, that you would maybe want to uh, implement are procedures to monitor recommendations that are made near these compensation thresholds. So again, when you're talking about moving from one payout threshold to another, you know, are there people out there that may, uh, that may push the envelope, that may uh, engage in certain activity, but may not be in the best interest, interest of their clients? Because again, 
they're moving from one payout threshold to another. So uh, supervisors should be uh, weary or supervisors should be aware when people are on the cusp of these levels to make sure that the activity engaged in is in fact in, in the uh, best interest of the client. Recommendations in, involving higher compensation products or other recommendations that may be more likely than others to cause an RR to place his or her interest ahead of the customer's interest. And again, this is a situation where supervisors, branch managers, uh, compliance people should be aware and uh, should be uh, actively reviewing activity where, where again, compensation levels are, are, are ratcheting up and uh, just to make sure that, in fact, the RR has the best interest of the clients and not her, his or her best interest in mind. Another one we're talking about are limiting types of retail customers to whom a product transaction or strategy may be recommended. We talked about this a little bit in the, in the previous category. And again, what we're talking about here, uh, a good example of this would be limits or restrictions on the sale of certain products and maybe we're talking high-risk products, uh, products that may not have tremendous transparency, may not be actively traded. Um, firms may decide to limit or restrict the sales of those products to certain classes, including retired investors here, only because of the fact that, it, that again, the interest of the client should be at the, at the forefront of any and all of these recommendations. Okay, well, thanks, Bill. And... So it seems to me, listening through this to, to your perspective and Bob's perspective on building the conflicts inventory, what the rule requires, there is a lot of focus on compensation and, and uh, I think it's going to require firms to operate a little bit differently than they have in the past. Again, my belief, you know, knowing what I know and talking to, to what used to be called financial advisors for, for so long. Uh, and, and kind of listening to how they serve their clients and help them grow. I think there's some things to keep in mind for the compliance folks that might be listening here, uh, for the payroll folks uh, and broker-dealers that are listening here. Most compensation plans go January 1 to December 31. Remember, this is a rule that the implementation date is June 30th. So. If you're going to be making changes to your comp structure in the middle of the year, you should be thinking about how that's going to work mechanically. Otherwise, you need to be making some pretty tough decisions right now on what you're going to do to govern the compensation that registered reps are achieving and to look at how you can make a more product-neutral approach to your compensation structure. A lot of firms who have supervisors monitoring trade blotters and, and looking at activity of reps uh, don't consider the next hurdle on the payout grid. Um, so generally speaking, the industry has operated that as you become a more uh, successful uh, registered rep, uh, as your production goes up, uh, the firm's profitability goes up and you share that with the registered rep. So you may have some, some challenges there proving to regulators that uh, they're not just chasing a bonus, they're really sitting across from their clients and trying to understand their goals and objectives and, and doing their best to meet them. 
so compensation is, is a really big deal. Uh, incentives across product lines is, is a really big deal. And listening to Bill talk about limiting the products that you can offer to your retail customers uh, in order to keep yourself safe from, from regulators, I think is something else to keep in mind as you're going through this decision and thinking about risk uh, to your firm. Um, keep in mind what Bill said about transparency, about liquidity, uh, and, and these complex products in particular, and, and ask yourself, you know, even if you think it's appropriate for a customer to get one, um, is that going to be okay or not? Um, am I overthinking this, Bill and Bob, or, or is that probably some things that firms really need to be doing right now? No, I think that's good. I, I mean, a couple of things come to mind that you might want to throw in uh, as a reminder for listeners, one of which is there are a lot of in incentives and other compensation packages for registered reps that are entirely acceptable. And, and we can help firms kind of sift through what's acceptable and what isn't. And finally, um, uh, on a lot of these recommendations, it's really important to document all the thinking behind it, in including um, consideration of conflicts of interest. And that's not really been a natural way that I've seen registered reps think in terms of documentation and 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 making sure that things are always the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And so uh, you're going to have to take these entrepreneurial registered reps uh, in the independent rep firms and and really the entrepreneurial ones in in wirehouses even and. Sort of try to make sure that you're checking behind them uh, often to, to make sure they're documenting things in a way that makes sense uh, to, to us compliance types. So with that, I just want to kind of make sure you know we would love to help you if you need help uh, implementing your conflicts inventory and your Reg BI uh, compliance programs. Uh, it's often hard to see a conflict when you're looking at it because, uh, as I've said, the, the typically no one's out trying to take advantage of, of customers. That's not something that people in the industry, uh, the vast majority of people in the industry do. And so as you're going through this, if you want a, an independent look, uh, a set of eyes that can think like a regulator, to point out things to make sure that you've got yourself prepared. Uh, we'd love to be able to help you. Feel free to reach out to us at 804-965-5400 or visit us on the web at www.oysterllc.com. And Bill, Bob, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with their, with their listeners today.